The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you for listening. I just wanted to start the show with saying that I am not a mental health professional or a financial professional. All content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. I want to let you know that as a trigger warning, please note that content on the podcast can include topics like mental health and suicidal ideation and talk about a lot of sensitive topics. So please know that before listening. If you are currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741741. Hey everyone, this is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today I'm going to be talking with Emily Guy Birkin, freelance extraordinaire and author of End Financial Stress Now. We're going to be talking about something that everyone will experience at some point in their life, and that is grief. Grief can turn your whole world upside down, and Emily has experienced this herself and has a wealth of knowledge in the personal finance space. Thanks for being here, Emily. Oh, thank you for having me. So excited. First, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. So I am a freelance writer specializing in personal finance. I've been working in the freelance sphere for nine years now. So I write for a number of different uh, outlets online. And then I'm also the author of four books of personal finance. Uh, The most recent is End Financial Stress Now. You are so prolific. You are just a complete rock star and you have been <laughs> such an inspiration to me in the space, by the way. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited to have you. I wanted to dive right into this really juicy topic. I know that everyone's going to experience grief at some point in their life and it's so life-changing in every single way. So let's dive in and talk about how do traumatic events affect our mental health and financial well-being? So traumatic events can, in fact, rewire your brain. You've heard of post-traumatic stress disorder. That's exactly what's happened is your brain has, in an attempt to protect you, it has kind of rewired the way you think about things. And so we don't often necessarily think about money in those situations, although we've all had the experience of being stressed or grieving, and that means whatever good habits we have go out the window. And that includes good financial habits, but people who right after they've experienced a loss, who don't feel like exercising, who don't feel like eating well, and who are like, I'm just going to, you know, stop saving money. I'm going to just buy convenience foods. I'm going to do this, that, or the other. And it's in some ways, that's our brain trying to protect us saying like, you know, I've got to put all of my energy towards dealing with this trauma and this grief. So I need to let go of the the lower energy things. The problem is, when it comes to money, letting go of that lower energy thing can set you up for some really serious stress and future problems, depending on where you are in your financial journey. And so that's something that is really tough for people who are already starting with less money or are dealing with a great deal of debt or something like that when you're then plunged into a traumatic experience to then also you know, not allow your brain to focus on the trauma and helping you heal because you still need to pay close attention to the money to make sure that you don't cause another trauma down the road. Yeah. And I think grief is so pervasive in that it affects literally every single aspect of your life, your physical health, your mental health, your financial well-being, your relationships. It's just, you know, this explosion in your life and this 
crater that you're just dealing with and trying to figure out how to move forward. And I love that you mentioned how it can affect your finances and that people who might already be in debt or have less money, they're going to be struggling even more. And how can we help people who might already be more on the disadvantaged end kind of deal with grief, but also be financially stable or kind of get there? So um, it's tough. It's a very tough thing. Uh, now, one of the reasons why part of the you know personal finance greatest hits list is uh, have an emergency fund yeah. um, is for this reason. And it's something that I don't think we talk about enough in that we think of emergency fund like, oh, the car is a flat tire and I need to get to work. Or the emergency is that I lost my job. People don't necessarily think of the emergency is um, my mother died and I'm not coping. So that's the sort of thing that... Uh, that's a before the fact, you know, yeah. it's very, you can't create an emergency fund after the fact, but that's something where I, I really recommend people to find a way to have breathing room because if you are in a situation where you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're already kind of spread thin and everything has to go perfectly for you to re- retain equilibrium to begin with, just imagine throwing a wrench in that with grief. It's going to be even harder to get back to that fragile equilibrium. So that's something that I recommend to people is while everything is going well is when you want to kind of provide a protection for yourself in the future. The other thing that I want to think about is for when people are going through some sort of trauma you see people do stuff like, you know, we make casseroles when someone's going through grief, we try to to be there for them. But that's a place where instead of saying, please let me know if there's anything I can do, instead of saying that, say, here's what I think I'd like to do for you. I want to come over and make you some meals and put them in your freezer. I am going to send you a gift card to a grocery store and, and I'm going to mail that to you right now or commit to doing one a month for six months, because we tend to kind of pack up and leave in terms of grief, those who aren't affected by it within about two weeks, not realizing that this is lifelong. So if you know someone who's going through a tough time, know that finances are probably on their mind. And so find ways that you can ease that financial burden from the outside. Um, A friend of mine several years ago, her son, who is on the autism spectrum, got MRSA. And they did not know for quite some time because he is he's not nonverbal, but he, he has trouble communicating. So he didn't feel well, but he didn't know how to tell his parents. So it got much further along than it would have with a child who was uh, who's neurotypical. And so as my friend and her husband were in the, the hospital, you know, I'm several states away. There's nothing I could do. So I called and was like, what are the closest like restaurants to you where you'd want to get something to eat? And she's like, oh, well, there's a Dunkin' Donuts and there's this. And so I got gift cards for Dunkin' Donuts and stuff so that they would be able to have meals while they're in the hospital with their son. So that's the sort of thing that I recommend people from the outside looking in. Think financially, think what kind of financial burden could you ease? Even little bits here and there can be very helpful for people who are going through trauma. I think that is so amazing and brilliant. I think it's so important to reiterate that point because, you know, we, we do often say, Hey, let me know how I can help. Let me know what I need to do. Not realizing that we're transferring the onus back to the person. And they're like, I literally can't think of anything right now, let alone how you can help me. I'm trying to just 
get through the day. Like this is one more thing for me to think about. So yeah, something that you can do is say, I'm going to stop by and bring you some dinner. I'm going to stop by and I can watch the kids for two hours. I can drive you to the doctor's appointment. I can um, send Instacart groceries your way. Really just be proactive and take that action to really help someone dealing with grief in a financial way. And I think, you know, if you can do that, that is so amazing and wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. But you've also had your own traumatic experience of losing your father. And that sounds so difficult. And I wanted to kind of discuss how did that affect your mental health and your finances? So my, my dad passed away in 2013. I was um, four months pregnant with my younger son oh my uh, when dad died. And I experienced the worst financial stress of my life, but in a different direction from what you would expect. Although I, I suspect this is fairly common. My sister and I were the beneficiaries of dad's life insurance when he died. Now, I, as you know, I was married expecting my second kid. I had not relied on my dad's income for I don't know, 20 years, that, not quite that long, but quite some time. And the same with my sister. And so dad, who had worked as an insurance agent and was a financial planner, had always said life insurance is for income replacement. That was like his party line. Yeah. So the fact that I was a beneficiary of this when I he, there was no income to replace, I wasn't relying on his income. I went through this horrible sense that I, I shouldn't have this money. Because you can't help but feel glad to get a huge check in the mail. But I got that huge check because my dad was gone. And so this was a very different kind of stress than what most people talk about when they talk about financial stress. And I want to reiterate, I'm very lucky that my stress took this form. It's a form of privilege that I was able to go, oh my goodness, I don't deserve this. As opposed to like, how am I going to stay afloat and keep my children fed? Very, very different type of stress. However, uh, I have spoken to other people who have been in similar situations. I know a woman who lost her husband suddenly, who, because of the way he had set up his life insurance, she has the same sense of, I don't deserve this money. My life is easier with this money, but I wish I had my husband back. And so that's something that has really changed the way I look at a lot of things, Right after it happened, I, you know, you, you end up talking to people about grief and they kind of share their stories with you. I have a friend who for several years had her own business as a freelance editor. And when her mother died, she was so overwhelmed that she ended up losing her business. She just could not get back to work. Oh, oh my goodness. That breaks my heart. Yeah. And I, I completely understand it. My psyche is kind of different in that while I struggled to get back to work right after dad died, I, I also took comfort in work. So once I was able to get back into my groove, that became a refuge in some ways. Yeah. But if I had you. stayed, yeah, if I had stayed in a, a different headspace, I would not have been able to get back into that groove. So it made me understand a little better that life insurance is not just about income replacement, no matter what dad had taught me as a, as a financial planner. Yeah. It's also about self-care you know, making sure that your family is able to take the time they need to grieve and not necessarily have to jump right back into work to be able to, to keep everybody afloat. So that definitely changed the way I look at things because I've long felt a little ambivalent about life insurance, about the way it's sold and things like that. So it changed my viewpoint on that. It also really made it clear to me how important it is to care for the people around you who are going through trauma. Yes. 
because I, well, I was, I would be fine. And then I would not be fine. Yeah. It <laughs> just, just hits you like a ton of would. bricks. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and it's six years on and I still, it's a lot less often, but I still out of nowhere will suddenly just not be fine. So that's another aspect of it is the fact that trauma doesn't go away. Grief doesn't go away. When I was a teenager, I remember reading something saying that grief is a lifelong process. And as a teenager, I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. You know, you get over it, you move on. Yeah. <laughs> like what? <laughs> and then as an adult losing my dad, I, I, I understood, you know, you have these different markers in your life. And as you reach them, you realize dad's not here for that. And this makes me think of where he was at this point in his life and all of those different things. And it, it's, it's kind of grief is a living process. Yeah. And I can't imagine how difficult that was for you when you were pregnant as well. And you're like, you're having this new life inside of you literally, and you're kind of dealing with death. And that must be such an awkward and interesting experience. It was tough in that. So once we knew that we were having a boy, I formed my husband that we were naming him after my father. He didn't have a choice. I love Um, that. My youngest is named for my dad. But in my head, and I knew this was irrational, but in my head, I had the sense that I was tempting fate by naming the baby after my dad and that something was going to happen to me. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, And it was one of those fears that I knew was irrational. And I knew if I said something to someone about it, they would be like, that is not something you need to worry about. It's not rational. And so I felt like I had to not say anything to anybody because I couldn't let myself be convinced out of it because only by worrying about it was I keeping it from happening. Now, I'm not normally quite so neurotic. Mm -hmm. Um, and and like, but that's, that's not to say that I'm not at all. I like, I do have those kinds of thoughts, but the amplification of pregnancy hormones of grief of, you know, the changes to my life and to my family all at once, like really kind of made this perfect storm of irrational fears. So as I mentioned about dad's life insurance policy, I convinced myself that the only ethical way to deal with that insurance policy was to use the money for things that I thought dad would approve of. So I put almost half of it in my kids' 529 accounts. I sent some to my retirement fund because my dad was a financial planner. So, you know, he'd want to know I was prepared for retirement, gave some to uh, to charity. And even though I could hear in my head, my father going, oh, for heaven's sake, Emily, do something fun with it. <laughs> Enjoy it a little bit, please. Have yes. some fun. Yes, this is supposed to be a gift, sweetheart. <laughs> So, and that's, and even as it was happening, as I was like congratulating myself on my rationality, I knew that I wasn't being rational. And that's, that's another very interesting aspect of, sorry, my cat is in the way. So uh, that's another (laughs) very interesting aspect of grief and trauma is that you may even know that the decisions you're making aren't ideal. You may know that the thought processes you're going through are not reflective of reality, but knowing it and feeling it are two very different things. And that can really affect how you make your decisions and what you do and where you spend your time and what your thoughts uh, dwell on while you're dealing with this grief and trauma. So while you were dealing with that, did anything in particular help you with your mental health or your financial well-being during that time? So with my financial well-being, one of the things that I did was I gave myself permission to 
kind of chase, uh, like be a magpie and chase shiny things a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's because I know myself, I'm very frugal just by nature. That's just who I am. And the things that I, I love that I spend money on are things like I love office supplies and art supplies. Yeah. I love books. <laughs> more pens, <laughs> you know, more everyone, journals. Exactly. You know, some clothes and things like that. So I normally take a lot of time to figure out, do I really want this and kind of think through things? I'm not so much of a like, oh, I want that. I'm going to buy it sort of thinker. And so I gave myself permission to do the things that were going to feel good for me because I was very lucky to be in a position where I could. So the week after dad died, I went and got a manicure and a pedicure, which I generally only do when I'm in a wedding. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it was because it was something where like, I was not able to work yet. I was still in the headspace where I just wasn't able to work. Being at home, because I work from home, I, I felt guilty because I wasn't working and I didn't want to be cleaning and I didn't, you know, like couldn't figure out what to do with myself. And so I was like, okay, this is something I can do with myself and it will feel good. And so that kind of self-care that I would normally say like, oh, well, I need to save up for a special occasion to do this. I was like, no, 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 I'm going to do that. Do it now. Yeah. Time is of the essence. Yes. Yes. So that, that sort of thing helped quite a bit. Another thing that I have always done and that this was helpful at the time was uh, I journal, I write, you know, I'm, I'm a writer. And so really kind of writing through what I was feeling and writing down these irrational thoughts, it made me feel a little bit more in control and less like I was in free fall emotionally. Yeah. I think journaling is so important, especially when you're dealing with something traumatic, like a death or a divorce or anything. And really get those feelings out, especially if you don't have access to a therapist, being able to put your emotions down and get them out of your brain, I think is so important because sometimes we just let our emotions fester and they grow into these malignant kind of things that just grow and they take over and they come out in inappropriate times. So being able to take that and kind of put it on paper, I think is so helpful. Mm-hmm. And that that was really an important thing for me, being able to kind of put what I was feeling into words as best I could. And so uh, between that and then I also, I would take a lot of long walks. Um, and so I thought of it as, uh, as me and the baby out for a walk together while my older son was at, uh, at daycare at preschool. And so, uh, I mean, everything they say about the connection between mental health and uh, exercise is I have very much found to be true in my own life. So I was, I used to run um, and that was what I did before, you know, the two pregnancies. And while I was pregnant with, uh, with my younger son, running was not going to happen. So I was like, all right, You're I'll like, figure out a way good. to do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I'd go for, for long walks. I'd listen to books on audio on these long walks and it, it kind of allowed me to be in the moment without forcing me to stay within my head in a way that uh, that was going to be painful or traumatic again. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. So I want to switch gears a little bit. And you talked about how you got this life insurance money. And while it was so great to have that kind of financial stability, there's a lot of kind of pain and trauma in and of itself, just receiving that payment. Cause it's like, okay, great. I have this money, but then also it came at this huge personal loss. You know, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't necessarily in that situation and their finances can plummet because of grief. So let's say grief is taking over 
And it's easy to think that everything is awful, nothing matters anymore. Especially if someone dies, you really are kind of dealing with that existential crisis where you're like, literally nothing matters. Like we can all just die at any time, which can totally lead to this. You only live once mentality, which kind of just throws all financial (laughs) principles out the window. So how, you know, for people who they might be spending more, they might be despondent, they might actually be getting in debt either because they're dealing with their emotions by shopping or because they can't work and they're trying to get by and credit cards are the only way that they can do that. How can people who are experiencing grief be compassionate with themselves during this time? So something that I think is really important for people to remember is that when we engage in disordered behavior, and like that's how I prefer to think about it, when you are making money decisions that are not necessarily going to be to your benefit, they're not bad money decisions, they're disordered. That's, you know, you, you're not doing something bad, you're doing something that is not. I like something. that. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I really prefer uh, referring to that way, because that's one way already to think of it as compassionately, is you're, you're not in the order you want to be in right now, you're disordered. Um, The other thing that is really important to remember is that whatever choices you're making are fulfilling a need. They may not be fulfilling the need in a way that is going to be beneficial for your finances and for your life, but there is a real need underneath of it, and that need is not wrong. So if you are going on spending binges because you are grieving, that spending binge might not be the right decision for what you need from your finances in your life, but it is fulfilling something that you need to uh, reach. There's an emotion that you are solving or, or, or in some way making better with those spending binges. And so having the compassion to say, like, I'm doing this for a reason, and this is doing something for me that I don't know how else to do. So that is a way to remind yourself that you are not doing this because you're screwing up or anything. You're doing this because you have a real emotional need. And then once you can kind of get there, you can start investigating how you can fill that need without the spending binge. What are things that you can do that have yeah, a different way? Yeah. Because there are healthier ways to meet that need, to fill whatever it is that's missing. Um, when you find yourself spending $500 on Amazon all at once or, or going shop on shopping sprees or whatever it is that you're doing. So people are not doing these things because they're bad at money or they're bad people or they aren't smart or they make bad decisions. They're doing it because there's an emotional need and that is a very clear way that you are trying to fill that emotional need. And so once we let go of that shame that we associate with those sorts of decisions, then we can start to actually recognize what the decision is doing for us and make a different choice. I love that. And first of all, thank you so much for mentioning the word disorder. I think that's a better way to think about it because if we get away from this kind of moralizing around money where, oh, this is bad. I'm bad. I'm bad with money. I'm spending things that are bad and getting away from this good, bad binary and just saying, this is disorder. This isn't in the order that I want. It's not helping me per se, but this is what's happening. And also I think something that can help people and kind of to what you're saying is just thinking I'm doing the best I can right now. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you're literally just trying to get by. You're trying to get through the days. And and when you're dealing with grief, the seconds can feel like years and the days can just 
draw on and on and on like decades and time just goes so slowly. And it feels like, how can I even just get through today? And so, you know, reminding yourself that I'm doing the best I can. And if the best you can isn't necessarily helpful, there's no reason to go on this shame and blame spiral because that's only going to keep you in that negative space and not help you progress. And I think, you know, what you said about kind of realizing where we are at and then kind of investigating ways to fill that need in a different way is is so helpful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I like to help people think about is like an emotional bank, but also in terms of finances. So we talk about the emotional bank is like, you know, you need to fill it up and uh, it gets depleted when you do emotional labor, when you're grieving and things like that. Um, Something we don't necessarily talk about is how when you're emotionally full is when you're in the right headspace to make good financial plans for the future. So, and again, I don't want to shame people who are struggling with that because this is not a system that is set up for people to do that. Yes. <laughs> so anything you are doing to try to make tomorrow a little better than today is great, even if, if it takes a long time or if you're struggling or you don't, you don't know how to. When you are grieving, it's okay to kind of recognize that your emotional bank is not full. So that means you're not going to be making the best financial decisions. So you're kind of borrowing on credit from tomorrow's emotional bank. And you don't want to make that a habit. But if you are just in the midst of something where you you simply don't have it, recognizing that yourself tomorrow is going to have more than you do today and working to do what you can to make sure that's true can make it a little bit easier for you to recognize like, okay, I don't want to be buying convenience food all the time because it's not as healthy and it's so much more expensive and all of those things, but I just don't have it in me today. And so like you can rely on your tomorrow self to make that better choice if you know that you can. Now, where this gets tough is, uh, you know, usually I, I recommend to people like do something today that you'll be glad to wake up to in the morning. Yes. Ooh, I love that. Part of the reason why I recommend that is because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. So something you're glad to wake up to tomorrow morning might just be something that makes your life easier in case there is a problem. So I think of it a little bit like uh, I had a friend in uh, high school. She'd uh, she'd show up 15 minutes early to social things uh, every three times because she was five minutes late every other time. (laughs) (laughs) That's hysterical. I think of it a little bit like that, you know, if if you are planning ahead and again, like, you know, you, you don't want to plan on being emotionally or financially five minutes late, but knowing that life happens, it's uh, doing something today that'll make tomorrow easier, knowing that there will be a day when you just can't even <laughs> uh, at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there will be days when everything just kind of goes out the window, which I think, you know, brings me to my next question. And before we dive into that, I just kind of want to share a little bit of my own personal experience with grief. And it was pretty much basically a divorce that I experienced two years ago. It was my domestic partner of nine years. Him and I broke up and I asked him to move out. And even though it was my decision, it was so completely and utterly heart-wrenching and I had never experienced grief up until that point. And, you know, I'm lucky enough that I have not experienced a death yet of someone very close to me. And I do not look forward to that day. But, you know, they also say that divorce and, and breakups are also very traumatic and cause grief as well. And 
you know, after nine years, this is someone that I spent pretty much my whole young adult life with, suddenly not in my life, suddenly not sleeping next to me, suddenly not sharing a home with me. It was so difficult and the pain was just unimaginable. And during that time, I remember not being able to eat for about three months. And I was subsisting on like one Jamba Juice smoothie a day. I lost like 20 pounds. And something that I also want to talk about that I'm not happy about, but also I was in a privileged position. I lost about $20,000 in wages that year because I could not work. I stopped pitching. I stopped accepting assignments and you know all of that adds up and as a freelancer and a small business owner $20,000 is a lot of money and you know at that time just money did not matter to me i thought i've lost the one thing that i've loved most in this life this one thing that i thought was going to be here forever is now gone i don't know what my life is without this person i don't know who i am without this person i was dealing with my own existential crisis and grief and it just felt like nothing mattered anymore, you know, let alone money. I was like, ugh, money can't buy back my love. Money can't make this work. I tried to throw money at the problem by going to couples counseling. You know, money didn't solve any of this. Why does it matter? And so I would love for you to kind of share what are some steps that people who are experiencing grief, you know, when they feel like they have no energy or money doesn't matter anymore, how can they take care of their financial well-being? Mm-hmm. Um, That is one of the hardest things to do. They say things like money can't buy happiness and uh, the best things in life are free. And that's where those, those sayings come from is because when you are in the midst of feeling overwhelmed and grieving, uh, wishing for a life different from what you have right now, the idea that, you know, you need to get up and go to work, the idea that you need to pitch if you're a freelancer, the idea that you need to actually pay attention to where your money goes because you need to save for the future. All of that sounds ridiculous because what's the point? Mm-hmm. It's uh, very difficult to fight that. And so the suggestion that I have is when you are able to recognize what you need to do. And sometimes that's not going to be possible. Sometimes you're going to have to ask for help. Yeah. But when you're able to recognize that, uh, you know, yes, you do need to get up and go to work. Yes, you do need to save money. Do everything you can to automate it so that it's not a decision you have to make on a regular basis. And this is something where you can, you know, if you have a sister or a brother or a close friend, someone who you know you can trust to say, like, I need you to help make sure that I get up and go to work. I need you to help make sure that I, I do this. In the same way that if you are experiencing depression and it may seem overwhelming to try to get help, you might need someone to make phone calls for you. And so recognizing that your financial well being is similar to your mental health in that we expect people to do it all by themselves. And a lot of times we're going to need help. There are people you can ask, there are things you can do. And oftentimes you might not even know, like, what do you mean by automate? What, how can I automate? You might need to say to your best friend, like, uh, well, I'm grieving and I know I need to make sure that I'm not overdrawing my account and I don't know how to do that. Can you like do some Google searches to find if there's any apps that'll help me with that? You know, that sort of thing. Go ahead and delegate, yeah, <laughs> um, and uh, and have the the people in your life help you find the ways 
to keep your life going until you're ready to take the helm again. Yeah, I love that. And I think that if we can think of our finances as a way to help us through this this hard time, you know, oh, I'm so grateful that I can still have this place to live and that I can pay to buy food and, you know, yeah, maybe automating some of your savings. So you automate $20 from your checking to your savings every two weeks. You automate your bills so that you don't have to think about it, but you, you know, make sure you check your finances at least once or twice a month so that you don't overdraw your account and try to streamline and automate as much as possible. And kind of, you know, what you were saying before, before something like this happens, try to get systems in place because stuff does happen and you never expect this kind of stuff and it can happen on a dime and you want to make sure that you can manage your money in a way so that it's helping you manage your life and your mental health. And so that you don't kind of spiral into an even worse situation. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I think can be really beneficial in terms of your money mindset and helping your money be your ally through grief is something I, I, I've borrowed from Marie Kondo. Um, one of the things that I love about Marie Kondo, who she's the organization expert, she anthropomorphizes stuff. Yeah. She talks about when you're decluttering. Yeah, um, you need to think about how your things feel if they're sitting around and not being used. And you need to thank items for their service before you get rid of them. And I really love that because for me, it decenters me in my my experience and my uh, relationship with my stuff. So if I am like, well, there's a sweater and it doesn't really fit anymore, but maybe I'll fit back into it at some point. I'm just thinking about me and how I feel about the sweater. But if I think, well, that sweater is really sad because it hasn't been worn in two years and it yeah. would really like to, you know, it's a cute sweater. It would really like to be out and about. Yeah. That helps me realize, oh, I'm not the only one in this relationship. So I think that it's also really helpful to anthropomorphize your money. And so think about what does your money want? Well, your money wants to take care of you. Your money wants to be there for you when you are struggling. And so if you kind of start thinking of it that way, thinking of your money as a friend, your money is something that wants to protect you, your money that's proud when it's able to grow for you, your money is proud of the fact that it keeps you clothed and housed. And so that kind of mindset shift, you know, starting to think of your money as a friend can also be another way of decentering yourself in grief. So if you're thinking like, my money's getting a little sad because I haven't brought much in because I haven't been pitching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, I'm going to pitch something so that my money doesn't feel so lonely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that, that's a way that you, instead of it feeling like, oh, I just don't feel up to pitching. And now I'm feeling shame because I lost out on all this money because I was so overwhelmed. Uh, Instead of it all being me, 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 it's like, okay, what can my money do for me? How can I help facilitate that for my money? And then that also kind of gets you out of your own head when so often with grief, we, we get kind of these hamster wheel thoughts where we can't get out of them. That is such a great perspective. And yeah, I think if we can try to step outside of ourselves for a little bit, and zoom out and try to look at the big picture, which is incredibly difficult. And to that end, I love what you said about reaching out and getting support. Anyone that is listening and currently dealing with grief, you know, reach out to a mental health professional if you can. I recommend Open Path Collective as a way to get affordable therapy. I've also gotten affordable therapy through local graduate schools. 
If you're in crisis, you can text HOME to 741-741. And there are also many grief support groups across the country where people are dealing with grief and they can deal with it together because so often we feel like we're the only ones in life dealing with this when that's just not the case. And when you can find someone else in a similar situation and feel less alone, that can help you move forward a little bit. When I was in college, I uh, for six months, I lived in France. And though I was as fluent in French as I will ever be, every time I stepped outside, I felt a little bit like a deer in headlights. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to have to speak in French. And so grieving feels a little bit like that. Like you are going out into this world where other people are speaking a different language and you have to adapt to their language. And so meeting someone else who you can talk about your grief with felt like meeting another English speaker. Um, we're like, oh my goodness, I can, whew, I can be myself right now. I don't have to think through everything I'm going to say. And so, so yeah, I, I think grief support groups, particularly for um, types of grief that are not necessarily typical, uh, in that you know, my dad passed away. He was 62. He was young, but I can easily find other folks who have been through what I've been through. My friend who lost her husband, she was 37 at the time, and so there are a lot fewer young widows and widowers. And so finding someone who understands what you've been through is such a an important aspect of helping yourself heal. So I, I just wanted to really recommend that finding people who understand what you're going through, who've been through it, and who can lend you support. And, you know, they have they speak the same language, basically. Yeah, that is such a great point. And I think, you know, I also want to recommend joining different online communities as well. I know I have a friend who I was friends with this couple and unfortunately the husband passed away due to cancer and she was 32 and she just had a baby two months old. And it was one of the most devastating things I've ever seen and been a part of. This was a close friend of mine. And I remember her really flocking to kind of younger widowers because to to be a widow at 32 with a two month old is, is a unique situation. You know, she thought she had her whole life ahead of her with this, you know, family, but that's not how life worked out, unfortunately. And so being able to find a community of people that are fitting your situation to know that you're not alone and to get tips and tricks, you know, in your specific situation, I think is so useful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I want to end with, you know, do you have any final insights, tips, or tricks around dealing with grief and financial wellness? And we talked about a lot of things today, but in case you have any final words. So uh, I'd just like to kind of reiterate the importance of self-compassion. Our culture is very uncomfortable with grief and unhappiness, and uh, we're very uncomfortable with, with mistakes. And so that means grieving and not making the most beneficial financial decisions for yourself in grief or any other decisions, career decisions, anything like that, tends to be a source of shame. So we have this sense that like, oh, I should have a stiff upper lip. I should be able to handle it. Um, I should be strong enough. Yes. Yeah. And that there, there's something wrong with me. I mean, we, we even have this idea that, you know, you should get over a, a loss in your life um, as if there's a, any getting over a hole in your heart, it will always be there. You know, it may, it may heal and not be quite so raw, but it will always be there. And so it's really important for all of us to kind of 
treat ourselves with the same compassion that we, we would treat our best friend. So, you know, if your best friend is dealing with a terrible loss, you would not say to him or her, oh, come on, buck up. You would lend an ear. You would be helpful. And so you should be that kind of compassionate to yourself. And that can be tough to do because we so often beat ourselves up. But reminding yourself over and over again, I'm human. This is the process. I'm doing the best that I can. And whatever the situation is, the people who love me would not want me to be spiraling out of control with shame. So just remember that um, I will get through this. And uh, it's hard to do, but it's something that I think we all need to kind of focus on and remember and just start with a, a place of compassion. Yes, that is so great. And I think, you know, for anyone out there listening, dealing with this particular situation, constantly just repeating to yourself, I'm doing the best I can, but you can add these three words in this moment. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the best I can in this moment. Cause maybe, you know, oh, well, this isn't the best I can. Cause I know, you know, I'm, you know, much more productive and da, da, da. but given your current circumstances, maybe not. So you can say, I'm doing the best I can in this moment. Right. And kind of recenter everything. Well, Thank you so much, Emily. This has been such a productive conversation and I think really healing and getting into the insights around grief and finances and mental health and financial psychology. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you further? So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Emily Guy Birkin. That's E-M-I-L-Y-G-U-Y-B-I-R-K-E-N. And you can also find my website, emilyguybirkin.com, where you can see I have a blog, connections to my writing all over the web, and uh, other ways of getting in touch with me. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. And if you want to know anything about me, just feel free to email me at mental health and wealth show at gmail.com. You can also connect with me at melanielockert.com or mentalhealthandwealth.com. We will be releasing this podcast every other week on Friday. So definitely stay tuned for some other exciting episodes coming your way. I would love for you to go to mentalhealthandwealth.com and check out our content, sign up for our newsletter. And if you like the show, feel free to subscribe and review. Thank you so much.